Excuse me. 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 Everybody and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at season four, episode two, Antisocial Climbers, in which Lawndale students go on a camping trip, get stuck in a blizzard without supplies, and Daria and Jane look into the cold eyes of death. Kind of. <laughs> this episode aired on March 3rd, 2000, and was written by Jill Cargerman. This is the only episode of Daria that Cargerman wrote. Around the same time, she was also writing for Spin City, which is a show that I sometimes watched. Spin City was pretty good. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> had a, what's his name? I think it was Bill Lawrence, who was involved with uh, the yes. creation of Scrubs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Michael J. Fox and all that. I guess some some quick housekeeping before we jump into Beat by Beat. Hopefully you're hearing this on the day that it was released uh, because hopefully nothing went wrong because we have switched our podcast hosts. We are now off of Podbean and onto Anchor, uh, anchor.fm, uh, which is sort of spiffy. It's a lot of backend improvements really just in terms of like getting stuff published and everything. Theoretically, on your end, as a listener, nothing will change. <laughs> yeah, unless you were a frequent visitor, visitor to our website, uh, nothing will change. I will say that there are some neat features with Anchor, uh, one of which is a little like voicemail button that you don't need to like call us or anything. But if you feel like you want to leave us a little voice message on our website, you totally can do that. Uh, it's a little button and then they ask for, they ask to connect to your mic and then you can just sort of say whatever, I guess. I don't know. I didn't test it out. It seems neat slash horrifying. So we'll see how that works I'm out. really, really excited about that. <laughs> I'm pretty excited <laughs> about it too. So yeah, you know, just go ahead and hit that up. You might end up on the show. Who knows? Uh, and I might regret ever suggesting it. Who knows? <laughs> um, Oh, um, the one thing that is hosted on our Podbean website that I don't really have a space for at the moment on a proper website is our episode rankings. Oh, no. Well, from now on, you'll be able to find them. I'm going to link to the Google Doc itself in uh, in our episode notes, so you'll be able to find it from there. The hideous monster that it is. <laughs> yeah. I got to – okay, so – and everybody might get to see this 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 week. Did you create a separate box in this table for the musical? D- no. <laughs> <laughs> is that just because it went onto another page, or Maybe. is it actually? I think it's just because it went onto the second page. Yeah, let's see something. This okay, is not yeah. my doing. <laughs> All right. I saw that and I thought it I thought it was something that you had just kind of like done in the background because that sounds like something I would do like a little troll move <laughs> it's me being like extra vicious <laughs> <laughs> exactly no no that's just uh google docs funky table settings I guess uh okay all that out of the way do we want to get into the beat by beat yeah we do all right 
We open at Lawndale High, where Mr. O'Neill announces that his students have the option of going on an overnight hill trek to experience the primal struggle for survival, similar to what is portrayed in Jack London's The Call of the Wild. Daria and Jane are very much not interested in participating. Back at home, Quinn is already looking at the Hot Adirondack catalog to get outfitted for the field trip. Helen sees this as the perfect opportunity to spend quality time with Jake, as prescribed by their intimacy counselor, who she's been seeing without him. (laughs) (laughs) So she convinces Daria to go on the field trip, too. Daria agrees, but not out of the goodness of her heart. Rather, she was motivated by a crisp $50 bill. 50 bucks, man. Daria's not doing bad. (laughs) No, she's doing pretty okay for herself. So that that 50 bucks that she accepts to go on the camping trip would be about $75 today. I looked it up because I'm like that. Oh my God. (laughs) That's not bad. I also, that said, I don't know if you could have paid me enough to go on a camping trip with my high school classmates. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, maybe if it were like a particular group in high school, you know, like if it were a camping trip with the drama club, I'd be all in with that. (laughs) (laughs) But not just with like some random high school classmates. Nah. Nah, not so much. (laughs) I don't trust those people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know you. <clears throat> All right. So what do we have here? It's been so long since I've written the notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, we find out that Jane used to be a Girl Scout. Oh, yeah. And she has a traumatic past with the Girl Scouts singing J- John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, which <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of the children's show Lamb Chop's Play Along. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I remember Lamb Chop. <laughs> So my brother and I used to watch it before school in the morning, and uh, that was the closing song, of course. And whenever my brother heard it, he would get so pissed (laughs) because it was time for school. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) What a memory. (laughs) I wonder if that's like, I wonder if if he heard that song today, I wonder if it would still have like a a little Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Pavlov's dog, but <laughs> negative reinforcement. <laughs> yeah. Like he wouldn't say anything, but his pupils would get really dilated. <laughs> like- <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I had mentioned that the writer, uh, Cargerman, only wrote one of the Daria episodes. And and I, I do have to say, I noticed throughout the episode that, you know, I, there there was some weak writing here and there. And and one of those moments for me is when Quinn uh, says something to the effect of, Daria's talking, so I have to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and And that's the way to get, you know, Daria alone with her mom so they can negotiate without without Quinn knowing, but I feel like it is just like way too on the nose Quinn and a really super lazy way to get her out of the room. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, it's almost direct enough to like shoot the moon and come back as being actually kind of like admirable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I, 
I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny, but at the same time, I was like, that was too easy. (laughs) (laughs) And I did, there was a, so throughout the rest of this episode, yeah, I, I have concerns about the writing throughout much of the rest of this episode. I will say like the scene in the kitchen for me, for the most part, it worked. Like I do, I think you're dead on about Quinn, you know, Daria's talking, so I have to leave now. I think that's dead on, but I also think like a lot of the back and forth was actually pretty fun. I don't know. I didn't mind it so much. It was, it was kind of quick. It was kind of snappy. It felt, it felt different, I guess. Maybe, maybe that's Mm, more to the point. Okay. All right. What about when Helen says, I gave you life, Daria, I can take it away. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess every mother feels that way, but <laughs> I think every mother says that at least once. <laughs> so of course, Helen has to at some point. <laughs> I don't know. I pre- I appreciated the pace of it, the content itself, kind of odd, and and some of the decisions that were made, like the name of the cereal that Jake is holding is King Sugar Tut. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I know that, that Cargerman almost certainly had no control over what the hell the, sh- the cereal was named. Yeah, That's not the sort yeah. of thing that makes it into a script, but it's, it's just little odd decisions here or there. But also that's kind of a, you know, for as uh, odd slash quirky slash different as the writing may be, it's that cereal box is another example of, the tiny details in this episode animation wise, which are actually super impressive. And we'll, we'll be talking a little bit later about that, but it's kind of, you know, for, for as oddly as this episode is written, it looks really nice. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Anything else about this scene? No, I think, I think we about covered it. On the day of the field trip, Nostradamus by Nas plays as Helen and Jake drop their daughters at the bus and peel off to the cabins for some quality couples time. While the girls wait to leave, Daria hands over the $50 bill to Jane, who would do anything for friendship, (laughs) and we get a glimpse (laughs) of the conflict to come. Sandy criticizes Quinn for her clothing which seems less than functional for a wilderness adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this outfit. (laughs) Yeah, Everyone's outfit. I mean, everyone else (laughs) is dressed to survive. Um, Miss Barch, Mr. DiMartino, Mr. O'Neill, and Misley have all come prepared, and even Brittany has fuzzy boots. Which is good because <laughs> when they when the group arrives at the trailhead, coffee and TV by Blur playing in the background, it's clear that snow is on the way. I mean, the clouds. <laughs> They're rolling in. Misley seems more concerned with documenting the excursion for a sponsorship for Lawndale's non-existent wilderness adventure club. As the group heads off on their hike to the cabin, Joey, Jeffy, and Jamie offer to carry Quinn's three bags and in their rush to impress her they leave all the camping provisions at the bus womp womp yeah yeah (laughs) i like how one of them even just stares at the bag for a moment (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) he just stares at it okay (laughs) it just takes 
So you mentioned the you mentioned the the outfits. You know, Daria's in jeans. Jane is in a red hoodie. Quinn is wearing whatever the hell she's wearing. It's like this blue camo vest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a red scarf and 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 I think a bit of belly is showing. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't think that snow is on the way. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is in you know everybody's in their winter gear and and the backgrounds are very scenic and nice and pretty and and. Uh, there's a lot of color and, and a lot of stuff going on, and you know between the changes in outfits and the animation, which like go back and watch any episode from the first season, and then come back and watch from this episode Quinn as she's explaining her scarf, quote unquote, to Sandy. <laughs> like watch how much she's moving around and gesticulating, and just how detailed that animation is. Like it's not you know it's it's not Miyazaki or anything, but it's for Daria, it's spectacular. And between, you know, just all the little attention to detail, the different outfits, the scenery, the animation, it's a very, very nice looking episode of Daria. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. It's um, a lot of attention to the outfits. Every time I see someone in an outfit that they don't usually wear, you know, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh, you a well, that's, bit. yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I I don't think it was until, I don't know, uh, maybe like five years ago or so, I was doing editing for a fashion magazine uh, <laughs> or, or really, it really was like a, an academic journal about fashion. And, um, and I had never thought about you know, all the intricacies and the implications, the, like cultural implications of fashion, you know, to the extent that I had during that time. And now I definitely have much more of an appreciation. So like when I see something like this, like this is really fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, speaking of fashion, this is shaping up to be another one of those Quinn and Sandy rumble off on, uh, on school. Or I'm sorry, rum, Quinn and Sandy rumble off of school grounds episodes, <laughs> <laughs> which is really yeah. hard to say, but you know, it makes sense in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if this really bodes very well for the episode rankings. Yeah. I, it could just be that Daria Trent's whole thing is now off the table, but like the recurring rivalry, I guess with Daria and Trent off the table, so like Sandy and Quinn's rivalry is now kind of the other long running, well, not the other, but one of the other and most prominent long running uh, bits that this show has. And I don't know, something about it is ju- it's just annoying. <laughs> At this point. It's just so fucking petty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as an adult watching this, it's just yes. really, really annoying. Yeah. Maybe that's it. That's it. I mean, it's still, I still think it's pretty funny how Sandy goes about it. Like she finds the most interesting ways to just attack Quinn over and over and over. And I, I it's, it's not bad. It's just I, I wish we were, you know, going somewhere else with that relationship already. Yeah, that I think that's really what it is. And and this is probably also a product of us being so used to 
um, TV that develops a story arc over the course of episodes and seasons, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's right. It, beca- it becomes especially noticeable now that we have some serialization, you know, now that a little bit later on, Daria and Jane are going to talk about the things that have happened in the previous two episodes. Like there's character development that's happening now that hasn't really happened a whole lot prior to this. And so when you have, you know, these two, and especially, you know, Quinn, <laughs> who we love so dearly, when you have these two, like sort of locked into this one mode, uh, I don't know. It's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really bothers me about it is, yes, we love Quinn. You know, it has been established early on that she's actually pretty smart. Um, You know, she has, she's savvy, right? (laughs) But, But this kind of rivalry, this episode in particular, makes it so that she's making it really easy for Sandy to take her down. <laughs> Come on, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> At the same point, like she should be above this shit though. <laughs> like, it's so, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know where that thought was going. I think I'll, I'll get to it a little <laughs> bit later. I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the cabin wide hatred for her was justified in this episode. I'm glad that I will say, not to spoil anything, but I will say I am glad that Sandy and Quinn's relationship does eventually change toward the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Toward the end of the the, the whole show, not just yeah, like this episode. And that, that goes interesting places, and I really appreciate that. And I don't want to fail to acknowledge that, uh, that the writers eventually do get there. It's just right now, in comparison to the leaps that we've seen the rest of the show take... Uh, to see these two locked into the same mode is just kind of, I don't know, it's a little stale, I guess, is the thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, this bit with the with the fashion club where Quinn talks about bringing a snake bite kit and <laughs> Tiffany says, but why would you bite a snake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that line, too. <laughs> <laughs> And and here's a really weird line. Um, when Mr. O'Neill says to the boys outside of the bus, remember, we're in God's high school now. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Fucking what? <laughs> That's it's so weird. It's extremely weird. That to me sounds a little like this is someone writing Mr. O'Neill's character for the first time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And has sort of taken it in a direction that, you know, it, it's not, I mean, look, Mr. O'Neill does have that pretty strong youth pastor energy, uh, energy but that's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I can, I can kind of see that leap being made, you know, uh, but it's just so bizarre. Yeah. It was a really, really weird line. Also his jacket. Wow. Yeah. Honey. <laughs> You're you were the fashion editor. What's what the hell is that thing called? <laughs> I have no idea. It's like <laughs> it's like one of those puffy coats, but just big. <laughs> yeah, it's like a puffy raincoat, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like a slicker, except I don't I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it is. It's very strange. Also, if I mean, if we're going to talk accessories, the sheer size of the camera that Ms. Lee is carting around is absolutely insane. Yeah. 
Who would Although, take that camping? <laughs> well, funny. Hiking, <laughs> camping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we covered in, it was Monster, so like season two, episode six. We covered like home video recording devices, which is crazy to me that we covered something like every now and then I'll say, oh yeah, we covered that before. And I'll realize like, that's a bizarrely specific thing that we cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we did in fact cover home video recording devices uh, in the cultural context uh, for uh, Monster, season two, episode six, like I said. <laughs> for um, all you youngins. <laughs> yeah. So for our younger viewers or listeners, I guess I should say, you know, people did carry cameras that large to like every event for a while. Um, the the whole like backpack setup that uh, Mr. O'Neill is carrying around is definitely super overkill. But yeah, home video home video recording stuff was was extremely cumbersome for a while there. Uh, although, yeah, you'd probably be hard pressed to to find somebody willing to drag something like that along on a on a hike. Yeah, that's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> just get a little camera and be done with it. <laughs> just click. All done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it doesn't serve her purposes, but it's just, no. it's not very she's, practical. <laughs> she's got this completely non-existent club to promote. Right. It's not very practical, but then again, why are they going out camping on a mountain at this time of year? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least there's a cabin, but still, come on. <clears throat> uh, and apparently huge cabin, by the way, if it fits like 45 high school students. I really don't think that many kids are there. <laughs> <laughs> think, think she's juicing the numbers? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't even know how many kids fit on a bus. How many kids fit on a like – how many seats are there on a school bus? I mean, probably more than 45. Yeah, probably. You're, yeah, you're Figure probably you got right. three seaters on the, on the one side. There's what, like – Oh yeah, rows. I forgot three seaters. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we should probably move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Helen and Jake arrive at their no frills cabin and get down to business on the bearskin rug. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, go Helen and Jake. <laughs> Meanwhile, the school group hikes to the cabin, and it's pretty clear that provisions or no, not many in the group are actually equipped to survive the wilderness. What? Kevin, no, of course not. Kevin gives Brittany a bouquet of flowers complete with angry bees, and Mr. O'Neill forgot to bring his backup inhaler. Is this a new uh. bit of information we have about him? Yeah, it's a new bit of information that we have okay. about him. Ms. Barch and Mr. DiMartino end up carrying Mr. O'Neill, and before the group can reach their destination, the snow starts to fall. Oh, boy. Maybe it's just that my partner has really bad allergies and asthma, but watching Mr. O'Neill like, struggle with his inhaler, everything is extremely anxiety-inducing for me. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard <laughs> to watch. Yeah, it is. It is really difficult to watch. <laughs> it's not just you. <laughs> I'm like, no, you can't. He needs help. <laughs> we need to get him back to civilization. What are we doing? So we we get this like quick reference to Gone with the Wind with Ms. Barch when she 
when she picks him, when she decides that she's going to pick him up and and carry him, um, which, you know, in itself at the moment, you know, gone with the wind is controversial, (laughs) which is interesting. (laughs) Um, then there are flashbacks of all her romantic encounters with Mr. O'Neill, because we can't just have her sigh before strapping the rope onto his midsection and hauling his ass up to the cabin. I mean, <laughs> do we really need all of this? <laughs> well, we got we got a twenty one minute episode <laughs> to to fill up. Yeah, it there's a lot of and I'll, I'll mention this again a little bit later, probably, but like there are a lot of little moments in this episode that don't really need to happen and they just kind of do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that necessarily separates it from many of the other episodes of the show. I think, you know, you, you pick at any show long enough, you'll find plenty of, of instances of, of that. Uh, but for some reason, they just kind of really stuck out to me this time around. Uh, I don't know if it's clunky writing or if I'm just being like over analytical about it. Well, I think that we don't have a lot of flashbacks in this show. Um, that is true. So that's just strange. <laughs> and yeah. for the flashbacks to happen uh, to a minor character like Miss Barch, seem makes it seem doubly so. So yeah. Mm, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, uh, yay for continuity, right? Like this <laughs> sure. is another example of the show actually referencing itself. This is something that we would not have seen in a previous yeah. season, you know? And I appreciate that. I remain not very wild about Ms. Barch. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad she's not physically assaulting anyone yet, but <laughs> yeah. Yet. So, yeah. Yet. <laughs> I, you know, in, in writing the beat by um, for this episode, I come to realize that the setup and the rising action of this episode is is just hella long. <laughs> so even it's, though, like, I just made this, like, you know, very, I I just read this very short scene here. Like, the getting to the cabin takes forever. <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of felt the same way when I was watching because I felt like the actual snowstorm lasted all of like two minutes, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. It lasts like the second half of the episode. It has a snowstorm, but the pacing is really odd with with this. <laughs> uh, I wonder if maybe part of it is that we are used to our exposition and, and whatnot being a very quick hit boom, in and out, one minute at the very beginning of the episode, and then we're just kind of dealing with the ramifications of it the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Yeah, like this this feels kind of like more of a classic structure, I guess. But it, yeah. just, it feels very, you're right, it feels so slow. And then the actual snowstorm itself feels so quick. I don't know. It It is weird. It's a weird episode, Nessa. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is, Rob. <laughs> um, moving on. I just well, one last, I want to say good good for Helen and Jake, but man, the mood shifts like super quickly when they see that bearskin rug, and I have questions. <laughs> and I could I could definitely do without the animal noises <laughs> that making at each other. Yeah, but I mean, how else are we going to make it comic? <laughs> <laughs> It's a fair point. 
That's yeah. a fair point. Uh-huh. You don't want this to be too serious a moment. No, 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 not at all. They're the parents. <laughs> <laughs> After the commercial break, the snowfall is heavier. Mr. O'Neill has gone back to the bus for his inhaler without anyone noticing, I might add. And Ms. Lee decides to go after him, or really, after her camera, which he has. The rest (laughs) of the group makes it to the cabin. They're freezing and hungry. And they just find out that the three J's left the camping gear back at the bus. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The crowd closes in on Quinn, lottery style. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I had to. (laughs) Back at the love cabin, Helen is enjoying a post-coital martini by the fireplace while Jake makes a snow turkey. That's a yeah. That's a this is a low point for Jake <laughs> intellectually. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> Helen points out that in order to strengthen their intimacy, they should try to have a conversation. Silence. <laughs> and we cut to the blizzard howling outside. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, God forbid they have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I think we've all been there, right? (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) You realize, hey, this is fun, but also I can't talk to you for more than five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I, okay, I mentioned this very briefly earlier. I take extreme exception to, or I don't know if that's the proper term, but the point is, I feel strongly about this. Um, why is Quinn taking the blame for the three J's not taking the bags up to the cabin? Oh, you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it. I think it is simply because this episode is so focused on her materialism. Um, and the and the consequences of it that right. you know no one else could possibly be at blame. You know, it it's I think that it is one of those things that is pretty damn sexist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, you mean it. the th- the three men directly responsible for the problem didn't take any of the blame, but the one mm-hmm. woman did. <laughs> Yeah. And you're you're telling me that's sexist? (laughs) It's just so sexist. And and everyone is feeding into it. And I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. (laughs) Like, the fact that at the end of the episode, Quinn is about to have an epiphany about, you know, her, her fashion practice, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and how it affects her existentially and she's just cut off, you know. It it makes it it makes me really feel icky. <laughs> like there's there's so much opportunity here, especially because this is a this is a show that has a large female audience and strong female characters. You know, the 
you know, the the ingrained sexism, it's a lot to untangle. <laughs> and I don't think it was like intentionally, like the writer's intentionally pointing this all out. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think it's just there. Yeah. It feels, uh, I mean, you know, you put, you pointed this out earlier with Quinn getting out of the room because Dario was talking. This feels a little lazy. It's, Hey, we need to get everybody pissed at Quinn. Yeah. Could have been done better. There are so many other ways to have played this. Like you're, 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 bringing all of these people out into into the wilderness you're putting all these characters in a brand new situation uh and and this is this is the conflict we came up with (laughs) Uh, i don't know it just kind of sucks and it doubly sucks that like the three j's kind of skate by and you know none of them are even like even if nobody from the crowd you know points it out the fact that none of them stand up and say like, no, hold on now. You know, this was, this was my fuck up. Like I looked directly at the bag for 10 seconds and then walked away with the other bag. You know, the fact that none of the, and you would think they would be like, you know, jumping at the chance to, <laughs> to, to come to Quinn's they, rescue. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, yeah. put the fire out, put the fire out, even though you started it, but put the fire out and, and it's a bummer. It could have been handled better. I don't think it's, it's not like episode breaking or anything. It, it, it's just a little frustrating is all but it's like a huge part of the episode so yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's a bummer anything else we want to talk about with this, ep- with this uh, scene mr Demartino is translating for ms barch when she's like kind of sitting by herself and freezing uh and oh yeah yeah it, it's pretty great and i think we're just gonna go ahead and play the clip Archer says O'Neill went back to the buses to look for his inhaler. Abandoning her after all she's done for him, just like every other lousy man she's ever known. Men, I hate their stinking guts. And there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's this beautiful little kinship there. Somehow. <laughs> somehow. I will also, real quick before we move into the next scene, I think, you know, just uh, just at the at the last scene, I, I talked about how this episode has a bunch of tiny little one-off things that don't really have any point, but just kind of happen. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin's snow angel bit, where he tells Mac, "Hey, I'm going to make a snow angel," and then he falls backward into the mud, and then Mac says, "Oh, I guess it has to snow more." There's that. There's Mr. DiMartino and Jody's interaction where she makes some like offhanded remark to Mr. DiMartino. And then he has like this very brief nom flashback. Like, yeah. And it's, it's stuff that isn't particularly funny, but also it doesn't add anything to the plot. It doesn't carry anything forward. It's just there. And I can see how it would get through the writer's room. You know, I can see how people would be like, Oh yeah, that's pretty funny. Let's throw it in. But it just doesn't. It really doesn't work, uh, and it's I don't know. It, it gums things up. It's it slows things down, and really doesn't help the pacing problems. Exactly. I was going to say to add to this this slow exposition and rising action, we've got this you know, this joke problem. And yeah, you know. <laughs> this joke problem. <laughs> it's a poor combination. Joke problem. I love it. Knock, knock. Who's there? I don't know. I have a joke problem. <laughs> oh, dear. 
It has to be a knock-knock joke. Of course. (laughs) Sandy announces that by causing the camping provisions to be left behind, Quinn has broken the fashion club oath, quote, to promote a healthy glow by never allowing other members to be deprived of skin-enhancing water reserves. (laughs) (laughs) She just pulled that one out of thin yeah. air, huh? <laughs> I mean, look, Sandy's a piece of shit, but she's got, I mean, she's got a way with words, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she's not unintelligent. No, no. I wouldn't accuse her of that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn is voted out of the club, surprise, surprise. And Jane, who has a bet against Daria in Quinn's favor, loses that $50 bill we mentioned before. Mr. DiMartino organizes two search parties, one to find Miss Lee and Mr. O'Neill, the other to find food and water. When faced with the choice of possibly dying in a blizzard or spending days snowed in a cabin with their classmates, Daria and Jane suit up and brave the blizzard with DiMartino. The three of them aren't trudging in the wind and snow long before DiMartino walks straight off a cliff by accident, of course, and leaves Daria and Jane to fend for themselves in the wilderness. Ooh. <laughs> Things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mr. DiMartino. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that man hasn't caught a break since like 68. <laughs> yeah. He's not doing well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Frankly, the fact that he shows up again in the episode is a miracle. Because <laughs> it sounds like he falls 500 feet. Right? Yes. Yeah. It sounds like he's dead. <laughs> uh, but they no. Probably, no. They probably could have done a little bit more to stress the lack of visibility because as it was animated, the scene very much just looks like <laughs> it's Mr. Martino staring directly at the cliff as he walks <laughs> off of it. <laughs> Yes. It reads very differently. It reads like (laughs) Mr. DiMartino saying, you know what? I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And of course, isn't he at the same time like mansplaining to Daria (laughs) and Jane about like how they shouldn't walk off a cliff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If only only every mansplain ended with, (laughs) with someone falling off a cliff. Oh, the world would be a happier place. <laughs> oh, man. So I I think that the um, $50 bill is really, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting thing <laughs> in this episode. A, a little fun, I, I guess. There's, there seems yeah. to be a lot of, a, a lot of uh, money motivation in this episode. Um, so like Quinn buying all of that gear, everyone like hating her because she has all of this shit and it doesn't help them. And then, you know, Daria and Jane passing this $50 bill back and forth. that doesn't really belong to either of them, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Ms. Lee going after her camera. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting thing that's going on. And the $50 bill is like a three beat thing so yeah that's that's it's a really fun little it's a fun little thread throughout the entire episode it's really you know aside from daria and jane going out into the blizzard i feel like 
it's really the only eyes we have on them. <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mostly, mostly the other stuff in this episode happens with a, we get a lot of side character involvement. Mm-hmm. So this is super tangential, but uh, Quinn tells Daria to stop talking to her because she'll be like a baby bird who's been abandoned because a human touched her. Uh, FYI, <laughs> a bird will most <laughs> likely not abandon a chick if a human touches it. Um, it has no, like it has nothing to do with smell. Birds can't really smell that well. <laughs> and and off, also. Birds tend to be super devoted to their young, which I've witnessed this past week with cat birds in my backyard. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I mean, if you if you want if you question at all uh, birds' parenting skill, I invite you to come check out our geese around breeding time because Ooh, yeah. nothing, <laughs> yeah, nothing is more ferocious than a goose standing near its goslings when you are within twenty feet. They're so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I've never understood I've never understood why people react to an attacking goose with like sheer mortal terror like it's a goose <laughs> it has hollow bones you don't like it's not it's not really a problem it's a goose but um but they do talk a big game like the hissing and the like making themselves bigger and everything it's well and they travel in groups <laughs> <laughs> they're they're really like a lot bigger than you'd expect them to be, you know? When, they are large. Get, yeah. I, I volunteered when, when there was an oil spill in the Delaware river, I, I volunteered to clean up the birds that were, were affected. And, um, and geese were a huge part of that population. And, you know, I was really just I was cleaning out rooms, you know, they're like they would have these geese in rooms <laughs> together <laughs> with, um, with, with paper down on the floor. <laughs> and I, and like once in a while, someone would have to go in and pick up all the paper and lay down more paper. And, and, and like these geese are just, you know, they're upset and cornered <laughs> in this room and like, you know, you're dancing, you're doing this weird dance with them. It is freaking scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to uh, be pecked by one of those things. <laughs> no, they can, they, you know, that like geese and ducks, like their bites don't, their bites don't feel great. Like it's, no. <laughs> no. it's not especially painful, but it, but it doesn't feel great. Uh, I, I grew up with a duck. So like, you know, the, the waterfowl <laughs> are just kind of like fun and hilarious to me at all times, like regardless of what they're doing, which is not the greatest instinct because again, <laughs> we have a lot of geese around here with a lot of goslings. Yeah. You better be careful. <laughs> I don't I don't mess around with them. They don't mess around with me. I walk by, they hiss, you know, yeah, life goes on. Yeah. So anyway, that was super tangential, but maybe, yeah, maybe we'll move on. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> uh, after the commercial break, Daria and Jane are still cliffside contemplating their very poor luck, and they decide to continue to their trek to the buses to recover their supplies. Back at the cabin, Quinn is trying to reconcile with the fashion club. They tell her she didn't need to bring so much stuff. It seems like she was trying to hog the spotlight or something. 
Quinn denies this accusation and counters by giving them all of her hot Adirondack gear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the love shack, Helen and Jake are <laughs> still not talking when DiMartino busts in like a frozen Frankenstein's monster. The two are so excited for a reprieve from their bonding session that they immediately rope DiMartino into a game of charades. <laughs> so much here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do want to just point out that Quinn's delivery of the line, I'm sorry I've doomed us to a lingering death, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good one. That's, yeah, like that and why would you bite a snake are probably my two favorite lines in the episode. <laughs> uh, that said, is this maybe one of Quinn's lowest moments in the history of Quinn? You know, this it's giving be, of right? this gear. It's it's so low. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be a kind of redemption arc, but I can't tell. I mean, it's just so painful. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a low point, which again, it's not it's super not her fault what happened with the three J's. <laughs> uh it's super not her fault that they didn't bring the bags up. But there's an alternate universe where in this episode puts its foot on the gas and Quinn's vanity indirectly leads to the death of dozens of teenagers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's that. So like, as low points go, that's <laughs> a, that's a pretty big one. <laughs> uh, and I should point out, like, I guess the fashion club bringing her back on board after she gives everything up is kind of a redemption bit for her but it's not like intrinsic to the plot at all really like nobody is made better for her giving that stuff up uh, mm -hmm. although and you you pointed this out like we were almost we were on the brink of that in the very last in the very last scene of this episode where she's talking about her kind of like existential realization so we play at maybe a redemption arc but i feel like right now it's just it's just a low point mm-hmm yeah and and it goes even lower when Jody thinks that Quinn may have some food and water and Quinn does not actually have food and water because it was too bulky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> a, a small, small detail. Uh when DiMartino busts through the door. I love how Helen, who is just in a flannel shirt, covers herself with the pants that are lying nearby. <laughs> it's just like such a genuine move, you know? <laughs> yeah. And again, it's it's the animation of this yeah. episode is paying so much more attention to detail. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Daria and Jane continue their trek through the blizzard they realize that they are actually in a really bad situation. So they make their peace <laughs> in a way that only they could. I think this could really be it. What are you talking about? Just keep walking. We'll find our way. I don't know, Daria. This is bad. Listen, I'm sorry I gave you all that crap about your boyfriend. Well, I'm sorry I embarrassed you all those times in front of my brother. I feel like we should say more. I know, that was kind of pathetic. Um, I'm sorry my parents didn't stop at one child. I'm sorry they added those ugly blue M&Ms. Better? 
I've made my peace. The second search party, who apparently is just Mac, finds Ms. Lee. <laughs> and Miss Lee, who has uh, tracked down Mr. O'Neill, who has taken shelter in a cave to film his last words. Only his asthma has eased up and the cave is pretty warm. So it looks like he's going to live. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so are Daria and Jane. The snow is stopped and they find the love shack. Daria's parents are still playing charades with DiMartino, who is super into it. And Daria gives Jane the $50 bill as hush money. And so completes our three beat. <laughs> Again, yay for continuity. Uh, Jane and Daria are directly referencing the past couple episodes. Yes. As well as like various Dar- Daria Trent incidents across the previous three seasons. And, uh, again, this is something that we had not really seen before. You know, this is the writers trying to tie everything together. I think this is a much more successful example than the one with Ms. Barch. Um, yeah, yeah. It doesn't involve flashbacks. It doesn't involve flashbacks. See how neatly it can be done. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's neat. It's something that we haven't really seen before. Uh, I appreciate it. I know we're going to see more of it, and uh, I'm probably going to get really annoying with how often I point it out. Man, well, you know, that's your job. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of my job, I went and looked into the blue M&Ms. Of course you did. Yeah, absolutely. So as you heard in the clip we played, Jane apologizes. Yeah, she apologizes for the blue M&Ms. Which, to the world. <laughs> to the world, I guess. Yeah. So we have a consider actually some of the analytics we are now privy to, thanks to Spotify and Anchor, tell us that we actually have a pretty significant uh group of folks who either were born after or straight up, you know, weren't old enough to remember the introduction of the blue M&Ms in nineteen ninety-five. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. So prior to the blue M&Ms, we had tan M&Ms, and then they decided they were going to replace the tan M&Ms, so they had a vote, and you had a choice between pink, purple, or blue. You had to call a toll-free line. It was 1-800-FUN-COLOR, and you had to enter your choice, and blue ended up winning with 54% of the vote, which is maybe the last time that blue was considered a popular M&M, because since then, everyone's just been complaining about it. I don't really understand the complaint. I mean, tan, uh, tan M and M's, blue M and M's. I think I yeah. think we, you know, upgraded a bit. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would say we upgraded, and also the colors don't matter with M and M's. It's not like they're different flavors. Yeah. It's just. Uh, I do remember that that toll free number and that vote, though. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. It. <laughs> Wow. Haven't thought about that in a really long time. Uh, welcome to Morgan Dorks. Yeah? <laughs> We're all about that shit. <laughs> oh, do you remember blue ketchup? I do remember. I remember green ketchup. I don't remember <laughs> blue ketchup. Oh, was it green? No, I'm pretty sure there was blue ketchup. I think there were like, uh, they were playing with like a variety of colors. I could be wrong about this though. Maybe it was just in my brain. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think there was a blue ketchup. It's just I, I more readily remember green ketchup. But yeah, they were screwing around with the colors for a while just to make it more popular with kids, which whatever, ketchup sucks. Go mustard. <laughs> uh. 
I'll also say the like world ending blizzard that apparently actually lasted all of like an hour and then quietly petered out uh, sort of reminds me a whole lot of the hurricane from the musical episode where it's oh, like yeah, a, yeah. a bunch of build up and a bunch of like, oh my God, we're all going to die. And then there's five minutes of actual stakes. And then immediately afterward, it's just like, oh, okay, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Back when people had the natural resources to take care of the storms, you know, trees and things that <laughs> buffered the winds. And now, <laughs> you know, now the storms just stay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, but yes, it does remind me of that episode as well. Again, not boding well for the episode. No, right now, but... <laughs> no, no, it is not. On the drive home, the Morgendorfer sisters share their lessons learned. Quinn has learned that sometimes being too well-dressed is a bad thing. Daria has learned that she has a death wish. And Jake has learned that he (laughs) likes charades. (laughs) The rest of the Adventure Club (laughs) is headed home on the bus. Brittany is telling Jody that there's no way she's forgiving Kevin for the bouquet of bee stings when they realize... Oops, Kevin is still at the cabin. Roll credits to Futures as run by Tonic. Ah, boy. (laughs) I don't think that I mentioned this before, but when Brittany gets stung by bees, (laughs) let me, let me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me find this again. Uh, yeah, when she gets stung by bees, juveniles back that ass up is playing. It's very good. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, also, speak. I guess speaking of Brittany and Kevin, this is like the second episode of the past four that Kevin has been stranded in what would be a very terrifying situation in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, he's got a lot of lives or something. <laughs> yeah. I also didn't mention it earlier, but his jacket fits over his shoulder pads, and that is amazing. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm, I know we mentioned it before, but I'm really annoyed at the fact that Quinn actually sounds like she's going to roll into some truly deep realization before Helen cuts her off. And like, I wanted to hear it like in an <laughs> episode that focuses on Quinn, you know, I would have liked to hear her growth, <laughs> but no, we have to have Kevin <laughs> yeah. being left behind. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was really no need for it. I thought as so, I'm a little torn on it because I agree with you entirely that it's like, God damn it. Why can't we just have like a little bit of like, why can't we have a character moment for Quinn? But also I think if you're going to do what they did, it was probably the funniest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair because enough. Helen gives her, Helen gives her like three seconds and then she's out. <laughs> she's <just> like, <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks. I didn't expect your life story. I'm going to go to Daria. I know she's going to give me something terse. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's <laughs> fair it's just i just feel like it's an episode that uh, just hates on quinn you know and it hates on quinn it has there's some like there's there's some missed opportunities here yeah especially like in a brand new environment brand new situation 
you have this fantastic animation. Yeah. Uh, you have all this fantastic animation and, and there are so many pieces here that could be amazing and, and they just really don't come together in a great way. Mm hmm. Which I imagine will come up in our discussion on the episode yeah. rankings. However, we have one hurdle to get over before we get there, and that is our cultural context. Yes, we do. All right. So let's start this ish. <laughs> Please don't keep that in the recording. <laughs> I'm absolutely keeping that in the recording. <laughs> oh, I knew it. Music play now. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, so this episode slots neatly into the snowed in and braving the blizzard tropes, which you can read about over on TV tropes. When beloved characters and also Sandy head out into the <laughs> wilderness only to be stranded by frigid cold and blinding snow, it plays upon a bunch of our most basic fears. And it can be particularly effective if, like most Americans, you've been raised with a passing knowledge of the disaster that was the Donner Party. Uh, the Donner name should sound kind of familiar because it's what Daria calls Ms. Lee earlier in the episode. Some quick history before we dive in. Around the mid-1800s, American whites had decided that it was their divine right to settle the West. Newspaper editor John O'Sullivan coined the shorthand Manifest Destiny to describe this God-given mission, which, in what would go on to be a grand American tradition, made a ravenous, blood-soaked campaign of violence and death sound almost pretty. In that spirit of needing to claim and civilize the West, the Donner Party left for California from Independence, Missouri in the spring of 1846. The 87-member party was actually composed of two families, the Donners and the Reeds, as well as their staff. So if there's, we're, we're going to, it's, it's going to be a very short retelling of the Donner story. I, I really suggest reading into it, but if there is one primo asshole in the story of the Donner, the Donner party, it's probably Lansford Hastings. So this absolute scrub Lord would eventually, would eventually <laughs> go on to be a Confederate soldier, uh, sought fame by framing himself as an experienced frontiersman and writing a book about emigrating to California. In that book, he promoted a quote-unquote shortcut that would later go on to be called the Hastings Cutoff. He pitched it as this short, easily navigated route uh, that you could traverse uh, relatively simply by wagon. Uh, in reality, it was not only longer than the route it claimed to be a shortcut for, but it was also an extremely treacherous path that, a mother th that among other things, had wagoneers trying to find their way through steep canyons and across 80 miles of extremely arid salt flats with no water. Yeah. Hastings, yeah. Hastings, it turns out, had never actually tried the damn route himself. But the Donner Party didn't know that. The Hastings cutoff fiasco set the Donner Party back a month, and by the time they got to one of the more difficult mountain passes on the trail, now named Donner Pass, it was early November. Already perilously low on supplies, they found themselves slammed by an early and extremely heavy snowfall, which trapped them near what is now known as Donner Lake. Dozens of people, including a number of small children, were stranded and starving in the middle of a ramshackle snowbound camp. As food became more and more scarce, they resorted to eating ox bones, rugs, roof hatchings, and basically anything else on hand. 
Until eventually, as the story goes, desperate members of the party had to give in and eat the bodies of their fallen comrades. Uh, So as I said, we are glossing over a ton of harrowing and heartbreaking and fascinating and also pretty grisly uh, history here. Uh, It's definitely worth reading up on, but the long and short of it is that 87 members of the Donner Party set out for California and only 48 ever actually got there. Only 48 ever reached their destination. They did, in fact, get to California as a group, but California is where the shit went down. The state of California would go on to establish Donner Memorial State Park, and the Donner Party would go on to find itself the subject of or influence for countless pieces of media, including, in a small way, this episode of Daria. Uh, Side note, if you're interested in reading more about the Donner Party, two books worth checking out are The Best Land Under Heaven by Michael Wallace and The Indifferent Stars Above by Daniel James Brown. You'll find links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, It's it's fascinating stuff um it's when you're going through uh when you were going through the the hastings cutoff fiasco and, and talking about how they went through uh the mountain pass that's now called donner pass and near the lake that is now known as donner lake and it's one of those things it's like i don't know i feel like if you could go into the future if you could go back to the past and talk to them before the journey and be like, Oh yeah, eventually there's going to be a past named after you. There's going to be a lake named after you. There's going <laughs> to be a, a Memorial state park named after you. And I think the first question would be like, what do you mean? Memorial state? park?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, there are countless stories of, of the expansion into the American West uh, that are every bit as, as, grotesque and harrowing uh and a lot that'll simply never be told because they happen to uh indigenous populations uh who we mm-hmm. <laughs> we treated pretty terribly but there, we have as a society kind of always had this fascination with the story of the donners yeah i think a large part of it comes down to the whole cannibalism thing oh you bet <laughs> <laughs> The way in which you perked up. <laughs> <laughs> Cannibalism, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, That's very good. I mean, you know, like we, we like we have the phrase, <laughs> like, I love you so much I could eat you up. You know what I mean? You're so cute I could eat you up. Like, we're... <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 this, this is so tangential, but like... We are so we're we're so um, fascinated with the idea of consuming each other in like emotional and physical ways that like of course cannibalism is going to be <laughs> up there. <laughs> it's like the epitome, right? <laughs> anyway, kind of just I kind of just want you to elaborate on that for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <If you could. laughs> No, well, we, we, can, we can move on to the episode rank. <laughs> well, for those of you who are interested, you should read Anne Sexton's um, book of retellings of grim fairy tales because she talks about this in 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 the retelling of Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, if you could, actually, I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes as well. That actually yeah. sounds pretty interesting. The book is called Transformations. All right. Cool. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't talk about the Donner Party, but she talks about, you know, 
<laughs> Cannibalism. <laughs> A little bit of culture for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So now we have the also grotesque <laughs> task of try to figure out where this episode sits in our rankings. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about the failings of this episode, that it's not something I really want to hash out again. <laughs> yeah. I think we've been pretty clear say, about it. <laughs> I'll say, like, I feel as though for all the shit we've talked, and we have talked a lot of shit on this episode, I don't think it's necessarily an awful episode. No, it's not like Daria the musical awful. But oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I I just like there are yes, the way Quinn is treated is is problematic. It's not great. Yes, there are all these little moments that really don't work and they throw off the pacing. Yes, the pacing is weird throughout a bunch of it. And and like we were saying, all these pieces don't really come together into something anywhere near as good as it should be. But I also like, I would draw a pretty hard line between something like this and something like the lab rat, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that said, and I think you brought up a, you brought up a pretty similar comparison to this earlier because you mentioned Sandy and Quinn feuding, uh, yes. off of school grounds. Uh-huh. Uh, so I am looking all the way down near the Daria Hunter. Ah. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. So Quinn and, uh, oh, okay, so they feud off of school grounds there, but also in the episode that's nearby in our rankings, just add water, right? Yes, yeah, so, wow, these episodes really don't do well for us. <laughs> we have just had water at 29 and the Daria Hunter at 31. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we've kind of zeroed in on our target here, I guess, because I don't think we're going to push it much higher than that. No, no. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> it does belong down there. Uh, maybe it's just me being a little bit harsh on the Daria Hunter. I think this episode's better than the Daria Hunter. I don't know if it's better than I don't, which is number 30 on the list. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you there. I don't think it's better than I don't. I I mean, I like Daria Hunter better than you do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, as you have pointed out time and time again, Daria Hunter is not really for this audience, whereas... I think this episode is, you know, it, it very much focused on, you know, the shallowness of, of high school students. So, yeah, I, I think it, it fits. So slotting in between I don't and the Daria Hunter. That sounds good to me. All right. Wow. This was like was the so quickest ranking ever. <laughs> <laughs> Oop, I spelled climbers wrong. Good work. You better get the spelling right because from now on people are going to have access to this. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that gives us, as Nissa mentioned, that gives us Antisocial Climbers at 31. Uh, just under I Don't, just above the Daria Hunter. I feel pretty good about that. 
Yeah, I think that's where it belongs. Yeah, I think coming into this, coming into this, I probably would have had it a little higher than that. Uh, but I think after talking everything through, like it, it's, it's just not a very good episode. It's not god awful, but it's not very good. So this is a very big difference between the last episode we ranked, which is up at number five. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I mean, of course, you know the writer makes a big difference, but wow. I'm very yeah. interested to see how the rankings go for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, you look at, I mean, hell, look at it happened one nut and then Daria. We, we went from uh, number 11 down to number 42. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> and, you know, Through Lens Darkly was the season three premiere. That was that was fourth on our list. And that's right next to Depth Takes a Holiday, which, I mean, that was two episodes away from Depth Takes a Holiday, which is all the way down at 41. So yeah, we, we do have some big discrepancies, but you know, I mean, the second half of the season for season three really pulled it out. Like aside from just add water and obviously mm -hmm. Daria, which is the yeah. beginning of the second half of this, um, you know, you have, uh, episode three, season 13, episode three, season 10, episode three, season eight, episode three or season three, episode eight, season three, episode 11. You know, the latter half of season three really picked it up. Heck yeah. You know, I, again, without trying to spoil too much, I will say that toward the end of season four, we come up to, I think, some of my favorite episodes of this series. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. Something to look forward to. Yeah. All right. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, we probably should. Okay, uh, that does wrap it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, you can check out our Patreon. It's over at patreon.com slash morgandorks. A buck a month. You can support this silly little thing we do and listen to an unedited version of each podcast a few days before it airs. This one should be interesting. <laughs> As always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at morgandorks. Email us at morgandorks at gmail.com or check out our new website, anchor.fm slash morgandorks. So much easier to say. It really and is. Spell. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, also, please note that like that's a it's very much like a website just dedicated to having a podcast on it, less than it is like a an overall website structure. We might be getting an official homepage at some point down the line, but it, it's it's definitely not a huge concern for us at the moment. But you yeah. know, I, I I would like <laughs> to have a place to like put transcripts and stuff like that. So so we'll have to put some thought into that at some point, but. Anyway, yeah, check us out at anchor.fm slash morgandorks. Uh, we're also on Facebook. That's fb.me slash morgandorks.podcast, or just search for morgandorks. It's much easier. Special thanks, as always, to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. And also, as always, thank you, Nissa. Thank you, Rob. Yay. And thank you, listeners. We will see you again in two weeks for season four, episode three, A Tree Grows in Lawndale, <laughs> here on Morgandorks. Morgandorks. <laughs>